From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. Next week, the Labor Party will hold its national conference in Brisbane. This will be the first face-to-face conference in five years. These conferences don't have anything like the bite they once did, but there's still a chance for the party's rank and file to have a shout about issues. There will be more than 400 delegates, with the left having the largest slice of the numbers for the first time in decades. The conference will be carefully managed to make sure the Prime Minister isn't embarrassed. Deals and trade-offs will be made to achieve this. We've already seen the government adjust its stance on Palestine, always potentially a sensitive issue for the Labor rank and file. And National Cabinet will discuss housing the day before the conference meets. The trickiest issue for the government, however, will be AUKUS and the submarine deal, which has agitated many Labor branch members. The Stage 3 tax cuts, land use and climate will also be potentially interesting debates. Given the heavy union component at the conference, industrial relations is always a discussion point, although the unions are mostly happy the way the government is delivering to them. Today we talk with Wayne Swan, who's Labor's national president. Formerly, Wayne Swan was treasurer and deputy prime minister in the Rudd and Gillard governments. Wayne Swan, Labor's national conferences used to be very powerful, able to, in fact, dictate to Labor governments. That's no longer so. What power does the conference have these days? Well, it's got an enormous amount of power, but I'd take issue with the the notion that uh, conferences in the past have frequently dictated to Labor governments. It's far more a partnership between the organisation and the parliamentary caucus. And of course, uh, the parliamentary caucus does operate Uh, within the confines of the platform. And on one or two occasions in history, there have been fundamental conflicts between the two. But for most of our history, Labor parliamentary caucuses, Labor prime ministers, Labor leader of the oppositions have worked within the confines of the platform. And that's where we are today. And some of the biggest reforms in our nation's history uh, have come through decisions at our national conference in partnership with our parliamentary leadership. These days, there are more than 400 delegates at the conference. They used to, of course, be much smaller, these conferences. In brief terms, how are the conference delegates chosen and what's the factional breakdown this time? Well, the delegates are chosen. uh, There's a dual process. Uh, There are representatives, which in the first instance will come from affiliated trade unions. And then there are rank and file delegates uh, from party branches around the country. Uh, who are elected uh, through those branches. Uh, It generally reflects, I suppose, that the balance of power in the party, uh, where there's a majority of union delegates uh, and there are branch delegates. But it's generally a partnership because, as you know, Michelle, the party doesn't divide between unions and rank and file. Uh, The party has groupings that that cross uh, those divides. So when you're looking at a conference, there'll be people from a multitude of backgrounds. It's an incredibly representative group of people from all work, all works of life and all backgrounds. And one of the things I'm most proud of in my sort of 49 years in the party is the way in which our party has changed to represent the, the changing Australian community and this changing Australian population. You see that in the, in the construction of our caucuses and you'll see it there. Uh, at our national conference. People from all backgrounds, from all occupations, uh, and a very good gender balance as well. And it's right that the left will be the largest grouping this time? 
I think it would be a stretch to argue that uh, there is a monolithic left which will have a solid majority at the conference. I think you'll find the numbers will move around depending on the issues. There's a mischaracterization, uh, I think, of our national conference and the way the party operates. Uh, and it's a narrative which says there are two large groupings and they dominate everything. That's far from the truth. Ever since the introduction of proportional representation way back in the 60s, uh, the party has become much more pluralistic in its representation. Uh, and the introduction of proportional representation not only meant that, that no one grouping could dominate the party all of the time, it also meant that even within the groupings in the party, there was a much more pluralism and diversity than you experienced prior to the introduction of proportional representation. Nevertheless, there are not many truly unaligned delegates, are there? I don't, I don't buy that argument. I know some people in the party put that. Many people are, uh, are affiliated with a grouping. Sometimes they're strongly affiliated. Sometimes they are loosely affiliated uh, with a grouping. To get to conference, it's good if you've got the support of a particular grouping, but it's not absolutely essential. And there will be delegates there uh, who have been elected and may identify with a grouping, but get elected because of the personal support they receive in their local geographic area. It's a mischaracterization of the conference to see it as, if you like, uh, governed by two blocks. The, the numbers are much more fluid than that, and I think you'll see that at the conference. Assistant Minister Andrew Lee recently strongly criticised the tight hold he said factions had on the Labor Party generally. You obviously disagree with him. Completely disagree with Andrew uh, about that. I'm in my 49th year um, uh, of, of party membership and I've had the privilege of, of holding most offices in the party all the way through uh, to the parliamentary wing. Uh, and it's true to say that uh, people mix and uh, vote differently on different issues from different backgrounds at different times, which doesn't always coincide uh, with the story that Andrew tells in his recent essay. The factions are nowhere near as monolithic as Andrew presents them. Uh, and many more people get involved in the party who don't come from the sort of backgrounds uh, that you would imagine if it was just two big monolithic groupings. Our party is very much representative of the general community. Yes, factions are, are, an organizing, are organizing groupings in the party, uh, but they are much more diverse and free flowing than the presentations from Andrew uh, present to people. So do you think they've loosened up over the years? No question, no question that they've loosened up. I used to be uh, described uh, in the federal caucus as a member of the Swan left. Uh, you might find that somewhat humorous. Uh, but the fact is that I, I used to mix across the groupings, both in the party, socially, and in terms of policy. It's in no way monolithic as is frequently presented in the media. People from different backgrounds will have different positions on different policy issues that don't correlate with a strict uh, factional um, origin of that person. What issues do you think will be flashpoints at the conference next week? Oh, I think all, all the big issues uh, are, are usually there and will be debated. Whether you can describe them as flashpoints, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, issues in defence, issues in economic policy are always prominent at ALP national conferences, as they have been at all times throughout our history. Do you think that AUKUS will be a, a, a big debate, a very divisive debate? Oh, I certainly think there'll be a, be a debate over AUKUS, and, and, and I hope there is. As we've been through the history of this party, it's 132 years, uh, national defence has always loomed large uh, in our party conferences. Indeed, the party split 
during the First World War over, over these sorts of issues. So people are passionate about the very big issues. That's why the Labor Party has been around so long and why it's the oldest social democratic Labor Party in the world. Uh, we've taken on the big issues. Uh, we've made the big changes in society. Uh, and we've done it in a way which has uh, cemented our place in history. Uh, so defence policy, economic policy, social policy, that's our bread and butter. Uh, and uh, that, that's why we were formed, to, to put a progressive view in those areas. Well, just on August, there wasn't actually much passion at the federal parliamentary level. It was very much accepted August and then the uh, subs deal. Do you think that there's stronger feeling in the branches? Look, I think there are there are strong feelings around on AUKUS uh, and they don't necessarily correlate with the way in which these debates uh, have played out uh, in the past. Um, but the way in which our our position in, in the region has changed so dramatically in the last decade or so, has brought about a profound change, I think, in, in our defence stance and orientation. And the party will debate that, and there'll be pros and cons presented at the conference, and people will be passionate about it, as they should be. But the Prime Minister will carry the day on this and other any other significant issues, won't he? Well, I won't preempt the conference, but I think there will be majority support for the Prime Minister and the program in total uh, of this Labor government. It's an incredibly progressive program. You know, we're in the process of burying trickle-down economics uh, and putting in place, you know, some very big changes and reforms uh, in social policy and big changes now in both defence policy and foreign policy. So there will be passion, there will be debate, uh, and uh, we'll come out of the conference united. Just turning to the party more generally, the major parties these days have a lot of trouble attracting members. How many members does Labor have and, and what's been the trend historically? And has there been any rise with the federal Labor government coming into office? There's always a, um, an increase in, in party membership uh, when you've had a change of government, such as we've had at the federal level and sometimes at state level when there's been a change of state government. Our party membership is, I think, around about what it's been for the last decade or so. I'd, I'd have to pick a figure out and say something around 60,000, something like that. Uh, I think uh, we as a party have to work harder at our membership, at increasing our membership, because we're absolutely cognizant of the fact that uh, Around the world, when you look at what has happened to fraternal parties elsewhere, uh, many many of them have simply disappeared, social democratic parties. Uh, we're the oldest social democratic party in the world, and we have to, as a matter of uh, survival over time, uh, to uh, nurture our membership, uh, to uh, educate our membership, uh, and to increase our membership. We're also fortunate to have affiliated trade unions, which provide a very strong balance for a party like the Labor Party. It's pretty hard to increase membership these days, though. How do you go about it? Well, you go about it by inspiring people and communicating directly with them. And we've got to do a lot more of that grassroots organising because these days your messages are filtered through so many channels, it's hard to get it out there. They're, not, they're no longer the sole province of television uh, or radio, and it's on programs like the one we're talking on now that people are increasingly listening to. There's a big challenge uh, for political parties of all persuasions around the world to increase their party membership and make it a ballast of democratic practice. The big problem in the United States has effectively been the collapse of the party system uh, in that country. 
we can't let that happen to our party system because they have an essential role uh, in protecting a healthy democracy and, and a fairer economy. So I want to see a lot more debate in the Labor Party post this conference about how we expand our membership and, and our strength, not just in traditional areas, but right across the country. The party has periodic problems with branch stacking, which leads to state branches in administration and top-down pre-selections. How damaging is that? Well, I don't see uh, the interventions as being damaging. I, I, see, I see them as essential interventions to protect grassroots democracy in the party. There have been from time to time over the last 130 years, times where the party hasn't been as democratic as it ought to be. Our intervention, for example, over the last couple of years in Victoria has completely rearranged uh, the party in that state and I believe left it in a far better state than it was. Uh, these actions are necessary from time to time and it reflects the determination of our national leadership to have a democratic party which is healthy in terms of its membership and not subject to some of the interventions that we've seen which are particularly undemocratic, namely massive branch stacking. The membership's somewhat more radical than the parliamentary party. Has this gap widened in recent years, do you think? No, I don't think so, Michelle. Like myself, you've been around a long time and um, the, the radicalism that we've seen at the, in the party has not always been as reflected in the, in the parliamentary wing. I don't think the gap now between radicalism and parts of the party and the parliamentary wing is any bigger than it has been at any other time in our history. Sometimes there is always a gap and perhaps that's healthy. But there have been plenty of times in our history where there's been a huge gap between the parliamentary wing uh, and, uh, and the membership. I don't think we have that at the moment. The Labor Party's made great progress in getting more women into the parliamentary party. Is there now internal pressure to advance other specific sections of the community through targets or even quotas? And does the pressure to choose local champions as candidates make it harder to place high flyers in seats? We all remember the Christina Keneally experience. Well, I think we should always be choosing local champions, but but sometimes outstanding candidates will, will present a case for, if you like, uh, for selection, which uh, bypasses the normal democratic processes. The party's always done this from time to time with, with great success. But first and foremost, having a local community champion is the best way to build a stronger party. I mean, the United States is living with the consequence of the virtual collapse of its party system, which is leading essentially to you know, the threat of fascism in that country. Political parties in this country, whether it's the Labor Party or the Liberal Party, the Greens or anyone else, has got to constantly nurture their membership to make sure they stay involved, to make sure that parties are representative of the broader, broader community and can and fulfil that role of being truly representative of a local community, contributing to democratic decisions in Parliament, state fed, and federal. And what about targets for particular sections of the community on the whole diversity issue? I'd like to see us do better. We've done very well on gender. I, I wouldn't be keen to be slicing and dicing it uh, more generally than that. But the party has taken action when it has come to um, a more diverse caucus over and above uh, gender representation. And if you look at our caucus, there's certainly plenty of people who represent multicultural communities and are from those communities. I think we've done a great job of staying in touch with contemporary Australia by having our caucuses full of people who are generally pretty representative of not only the gender diversity, but the racial diversity of the communities they represent. 
We've got a way to go on that, but I think we'll make it. Just turning to government matters, you were treasurer during the global financial crisis. Now, Jim Chalmers is treasurer during a very difficult economic period. How different do you think the economic issues are today from the days of the Rudd-Gillard government? Well, I was the uh, 36th treasurer of Australia and Jim's the 41st. Uh, And one of the the great differences between uh, my period and, and Jim's period is that the inadequacies of trickle-down economics and, and the use of fiscal policy, not only to promote growth, but to promote equity, is now much more strongly supported in our community than it was uh, when I was last Treasurer, simply because it was demonstrated uh, through COVID in particular that the intervention by government to massively support the economy and to produce social and to, um, if you like, produce desired social and economic outcomes was entirely legitimate. One of the reasons the Liberal Party is floundering so much is that it's in denial about this one important fact about about our nation, that governments must always intervene uh, to protect people, to to protect their jobs and to distribute uh, income throughout an economy, particularly when an economy is under threat from something like COVID or an international recession. During the GFC, we did precisely that. We were opposed all the way by the Conservatives. They were forced to take similar steps during COVID. Uh, And now it is much more established that government has a fundamental role in intervening in the economy to protect people, to deal with insecurity and inequality. You avoided recession at that time. The current forecast for growth today is uh, very low. Are we at risk of a recession? Well, we're always at risk of international factors adversely affecting our economy. And there's no question that's what's going on in the rest of the world at the moment. Uh, we'll see a slowing in the global economy. Uh, but at the moment, the US economy has still got a, a, a fair bit of momentum, counterbalanced, I suppose, by what's going on in China. Um, how Australia is ultimately affected by these movements is yet, is yet to be seen. But the one thing I have faith in, if I was anywhere in the world at the moment, just like the GFC, if I, if I was going to be anywhere, I'd be here because there's still strong momentum in a healthy economy uh, with a whole lot of uh, desirable characteristics. We're currently experiencing full employment. That is now going to be tempered somewhat by an economic slowdown brought about by rising rates. But Australia's in a good position to deal with whatever the world throws at us. One of the issues the conference is likely to debate is the stage three tax cuts. Should they be reworked? I won't be offering the government advice on stage three tax cuts. You'd be surprised to hear, Michelle. But I mean, I think the government is committed to equity across the board, as well as equity in the tax system. Just finally, you had a political nightmare in trying to introduce a resources tax. At present, there's a union push for a super profits tax, more generally than just the resources industry. Should we be looking at this? Well, the government is already acting um, uh, in this area of international tax evasion and is, and is strengthening the system across the board, including, including uh, in the area of uh, corporate tax for, for, for petroleum. So they're, they're making moves in the right direction in that area already. Well, we need to go further as we look to ways to get more revenue to cover what we need to spend? Well, fortunately, that's for the 41st Treasurer of Australia to talk about. <laughs> 
Thank you very much, Wade Swan, for talking to us today before the ALP conference. We'll be at next week's conference and bring you a podcast from there. But that's all for today. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. Goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Blue Dot Sessions. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.